they would strip us down, send us back, like even no shoes, they would take off the shoes, burn all of our stuff right in front of us. They started beating us, even though we were complying with their orders. They would just leave us in our boxes and send us back like totally naked. Involves walking miles barefoot in the jungles after getting beaten. Yeah, that happened. You're listening to Asylum Speakers, The Journey. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. For this very special season of the podcast, we followed common migration routes taken by refugees and asylum seekers from Africa, the Middle East and Ukraine, all the way through Europe, documenting stories along the way. We spent time with people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers and staff working alongside them and the host communities in each of the migration hotspots we visited. Many of the people we spoke to along this journey are being supported by projects funded by Comic Relief's Across Borders programme, which, thanks to the donations from the UK public, invest in organisations supporting refugees and asylum seekers along these routes. These first-hand accounts are here to educate, inspire and debunk some of the common myths and misconceptions around migration today. Listen carefully because... For many of these people, this podcast is the first opportunity they've had for their important story to be heard. Join us as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. leaving Syria to life in the UK, my friend Hassan, also a previous podcast guest, shared the terrifying experience he had when attempting to reach Greece by boat. His rubber dinghy was approached by three masked men on a bigger boat who stole their petrol tank and violently pushed them away from the shore. What Hassan experienced was a pushback. What are pushbacks, you might ask? Well, in short, a pushback is when refugees and migrants are forcibly pushed back over a border, generally immediately after they have crossed it. It is not just illegal to send someone back without consideration or assessment of their individual circumstances, but the violence with which these pushbacks are often carried out is costing lives. Welcome back to episode four of The Journey, a six-part podcast series following migration routes from Africa, the Middle East and Ukraine to Northern Europe. So far this season, we've explored the reasons why people are leaving their countries, we've taken a look at what life looks like in the first countries they arrive to, and we have delved into the risks that they face along their journeys. Today's episode is a very important one. Before we went on this trip, we had a rough idea of what these themes of the episodes might look like, but this one was actually very unexpected. Pretty much every person that we spoke to along the way, and definitely in every country along the way, we heard stories about pushbacks. In this episode, we hear from academics, aid workers, and also the testimony of someone who has actually lived the experience of being pushed back. 
This is a shocking topic and episode, but one I truly believe that we all need to know about as the first step to stopping these pushbacks from happening at our borders. So let's start with a clear explanation from Aysalin, the academic from Turkey specialising in migration, who we heard from in episode two. Pushbacks can happen in the sea or on the land while people are trying to cross the border. They are being prevented by the authorities and this prevention is sometimes with like your boat is popped or popped broken and or... broken yeah <laughs> and sometimes it's you are being shot sometimes it's violently sometimes on the sea maybe you know if they are creating waves have you called yeah waves yeah they're like purposely making waves to actually yes mm-hmm. yes and you are not able to reach the border so the pushback is you are prevented to reach the border, you are prevented to put your asylum application. This prevention happens violently and sometimes you might die. It happens in the sea or on the land. And uh, moreover, another form of pushback is people, they reach the land, okay, and they are being taken to police stations, for example, but then all their belongings are being taken and they're naked and they're just left in a place in the border. So this is also pushback. I mean, can you imagine that you are in the country, but you are being sent back to somewhere, or sometimes you are left in the sea. Like a raft or something. So, yes, yes, exactly. And they are left on them uh, without anything. And that you just wait for someone to come and rescue you. Uh, and this is pushback. I'm I'm not talking about only like the boat is being pushed back, but people are taken, all their belongings are taken, and they sometimes, you know, have vi- violence on them, and then they are left on the sea or they are left in the forest without anything. And it's very difficult for those people. They don't know how, what kind of procedure they should follow, whom to complain, you know, where to go. And since they also uh, would like to try to cross again, they are hesitant to put their complaints. You know, they don't want to complain about a country that they would like to reach again. They all fear because they are coming from other countries without any papers. So they fear of being deported, etc. And that means that these human rights violations are taking place more and more and people remain silent. They fear to put their Uh, complaints about what is going on. I asked Aiselin who was doing these pushbacks and she explained that this is exactly what we need to get to the bottom of in order to stop this hugely dangerous trend from happening at our borders. You need to figure out what is going on there. Is it the authorities or if it is some paramilitary groups? You have to intervene there. People are dying there. The issue is not only following the laws. People are dying. People are dying more and more. And someone has to put an end on it. Some volunteer NGOs, uh, we know in the islands and also in Greece, they are reporting many cases. And, and Turkish authorities are reporting many cases. And these are all filmed. You know, these are all reported. They are all evidence-based. And these... Uh, severe human rights violations and collective expulsions we, we, we have uh, needs to be uh, seen and handled by the authorities. Someone has to intervene immediately because and as 
if everyone is silent about it, then this becomes like an official border policy. And this is totally against all European norms, all humanitarian values. Someone has to put an end on it. In our next segment of the podcast today, we hear from someone who is working to put an end to these pushbacks. Let's call her Charlotte. Charlotte has been working on the ground on the Greek islands for years, directly communicating with those who are arriving to the islands and in fear of being pushed back into the sea. She explains why it's important for us to keep her anonymous today. The reason that the segment has to be anonymous or I myself feel a bit intimidated about saying certain things is because we know that aid workers are being criminalised. Those who are being vocal or doing advocacy work are being criminalised, accused of all things from espionage and human trafficking to smuggling or having their aid operations shut down. So that's why we have to be very careful what we say, which is really sad because, you know, the things we're raising awareness on and advocating for is already out there in the media, yet we feel silenced. You know, we had Sarah Mardini on this podcast a couple of years ago now, so I'm hoping that people that are listening to this have listened to that episode and have heard a personal story about how that feels, you know, not just to have those charges hanging over you, but to be silenced and to not be able to share what you're so passionate about and what you care about. But I'm grateful to you for still doing so and finding ways to. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you've heard or what you know about pushbacks here in Greece. Pushbacks means that when people have arrived onto a land, when they should be given the right to seek asylum, they're being pushed back into another territory where they came from, or sometimes in different directions, actually. In Greece, obviously, the pushbacks are happening at different borders. It's not just the sea border, but it's also the land border near Evros River as well and other borders that people come through. Pushbacks have always happened. It's not a new thing. It's been happening for generations all throughout the Balkan route, Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia. In Greece, it's happened in the past as well. Once people are on Greek waters, they should be able to seek asylum. But we've seen images and videos where people have been pushed back from the waters. Boats have chased them, shot guns at them, pushed them back with sticks and things like that. And what we noticed, the trend was when people were actually landing, they were then being pushed back from the land itself. I'm guessing that the people themselves didn't know to begin with this was going to happen, but obviously news soon spread about that. So then they started using tactics to try and hide so they wouldn't be pushed back. But again, majority of people were being pushed back. I would probably say when boats are arriving, more than half are being pushed back. Yeah, so that's what a pushback is. Charlotte went on to explain how she had first become involved in supporting those at risk of being pushed back from the Greek island on which she was working. I was reading about it on the news, following different pages on Facebook and different news outlets on these pushbacks. You kind of dissociate yourself unless like you kind of meet the people or you hear more about it. When you're an aid worker on a particular island for a long time, you do develop trust with the community. So yeah, I started getting calls from people and messages from people saying, we've arrived, we're hiding, we're scared, the police are going to come and get us and they will push it back. What do we do? And we know that we can't go to help. We're getting people crying on the phone saying, um, and I can show you some of the videos and stuff that I have. Um, So yeah, I remember the first calls we were getting, they were like saying, we've been outside for over 24 hours, we've got babies, they don't have any milk, that kind of thing. So they're arriving to land. For example, on one of the Greek islands, and then they're scared that even at that point they're going to be pushed back into the water. Yeah, pushed back not only into the water, but all the way back to Turkey. So what they do is they put them on these like triangular life rafts, or supposed to be life rafts, but you know, they're using them to push people back. 
They don't give them life jackets or anything. They confiscate their phones, break their phones. They've taken documents. They've taken the money from what people have told me. In the past, they have handcuffed people to the life rafts as well. And people have actually drowned and died. So you told us the story the other day that you knew of a time where two people on one of these life rafts that had been put on the life rafts by Greek authorities, two of two people passed away. Yep. Actually, there was more people on that boat. I think there was over 30, 35 people that were pushed back. And that is the boat where people were handcuffed to the raft and people died. The question is, who is actually doing these pushbacks? I asked Charlotte this to see if she could shed some light. We don't know actually exactly who's involved in the pushbacks. Of course, the port police will be involved. Frontex will be involved. They talk about masked balaclava people. So we don't actually know who's doing it together. I don't know myself, to be honest, and they don't know and nobody actually knows. So, you know, some sort of investigation needs to happen, which is not happening. I can show you some videos and photos that people send. Yeah, I'd be really interested in that. Shana got her phone out to show us some examples of the panicked photos and videos that she regularly receives from people newly arriving by boat to the Greek island she works on. Please, Anita, help me. Please, Anita. Please, look, 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 my sister. Please, Anita. Please, I don't have any jacket. Please, Anita. They arrived in the morning and then they were hiding in this like cemetery and like, oh no, there were some Eritreans and Palestinians. So when you get a video like that, you will send it on to someone who you think might be able to help them in that desperate situation. If those guys just walked into Mytilene or whatever, then it could be that they get put straight on one of these rafts. They will be sent straight back. But like the terrain, like they're down, and there's no way to get up easily. You know, this is a lady, like, you know, this is a lady who looks... So this was another... A lot of women and children, the woman in the video cries, wet, cold and traumatised, seeing the faces and the desperate circumstances of the people in these videos was really very heartbreaking. But it's distressing. (laughs) I hate it. Like, you know, I just wish, I don't want them to message me. (laughs) Like, like, you know, sad that is to say. So these guys, again, majority Arabic. And then they were all pushed back. So, you know, this is the type of message. Get, Hi, good morning. I got your number from a friend. I have my family, my wife, two kids, my brothers. They arrived yesterday and they don't have a warm place today. They're hidden in the street and it's so cold. Is there any way to help them? If you can, my name is Khaled. And I said, hello, they need to register with the authorities. I'm sorry for the late reply because usually they come very early dawn. So I don't get it till later. And here's the number for two lawyers. They were all pushed back. They were all pushed back. How do you emotionally deal with the weight of this? It's horrible. I have no words to describe it. So like, um, I just keep going and try and do my best. And I think as long as I can say I did the right thing. So just to summarise what we've heard, once arriving to Europe's shores, people are basically racing to somehow prove that they have made it to Greece before being caught by the authorities and sent back. I asked Charlotte how this was allowed to happen. I'm asking this question all the time. How is this allowed to happen? How is this allowed to happen? Why is it that Greece authorities, and of course in other countries as well, can deny that they're doing pushback, but there's all this evidence online, you know? It's criminal, it's murder. I just don't know what's happening to the world or why it's like this, we're in Europe, we're in the Western world, Europe, and people are being murdered and killed. And when we're in school, when we're small, we're told about human rights and how to like take care of each other. and. I've seen something else, you know, and I'm shocked every single day. 
People's voices have been taken away from them often when they've been pushed back. If you put them in contact with legal organizations, they don't want to file a complaint to the European courts because they think it's going to affect their asylum claim if they come back in or mm-hmm. or even if they're in Greece, they're not going to then they're not going to complain then because they just want to be accepted and mm-hmm. something needs to happen. If people's voices are not counting right now, no matter how many petitions we do, we have networks, we have research, we have investigations at the European courts, we are holding up signs and taking photos and not making a difference it's not making enough of a dent that people are still dying and being pushed back what can we do people give me so much inspiration if they could go through that the least we can do is raise awareness on it and they're not going to shut us down we're going to still raising awareness on it after our interview charlotte and i continued chatting around the table with michaela and josh who were with me on this trip here you hear michaela's thoughts on how much pushbacks have come up in conversation as we've traveled as we've been on this trip, it, every single place we've gone, it's been brought up by mm-hmm. someone of this pushback that has happened in this place, this place, this place, all across the migration route that we're following. And so I think I've realized this is not one-off rogue groups of people. This is a systemic problem that's being allowed. Like there's there's active allowance for this mm-hmm. to keep happening. People are turning their their eyes away from it and ignoring what's happening. Michaela also told us about a collection of testimonies called The Big Black Book of Pushbacks. This big black book of pushbacks, it's like there's like two volumes and just this one group's like collection of testimonies. It's a 1500 page document with over 12,000 people's experiences with 892 group testimonies. And that was from Italy, Greece, Croatia, Slovenia and Hungary. My friend said she was reading it recently and like uh, she had to stop because it was like, I haven't yet because I need to, I need to pick my time and energies. So there you have it from the lovely Charlotte. Now let's go back to Katie, who we met in episode two in Cairo. Katie also became aware of pushbacks during her time working for an NGO on the Greek islands. And she also met her Syrian partner here. She became involved in collating these testimonies that Charlotte mentioned, but this issue became even more personal and apparent for her when her own partner experienced a series of pushbacks himself. We're going to hear from both of them today, but first let's hear from Katie, back in that smoky coffee shop in Cairo, where we talked about her time volunteering in Greece. How did you first um, start to kind of learn what was happening? So some things were happening in the sea. Not everyone was arriving from Turkey as easily as I had previously thought. It opened my curiosity to what was going on politically. And as like a student of international relations and political science, I was fascinated by this. I wanted to know how we got to this situation on the island. So I started to talk more to people who had made the journey from Turkey. And some of them had made multiple attempts to get here. And so this kind of opened my mind to the fact that it wasn't just a boat ride from Turkey. And it wasn't just a tumultuous, terrible boat ride from Turkey. But also it was one where there were often multiple journeys and they weren't always making it in the first instance. As someone who had studied international law, I was kind of fascinated at the idea. Fascinated is maybe the wrong word, but I was really intrigued about these actions. I wanted to know, is it true that a a European government is pushing people back? Is it Turkey on the Turkish side? Is it Greece? Because as, as 
Anyone who studied international law knows this is the number one thing in refugee law and international humanitarian law. You can't push people back who are claiming asylum. There is a strict, strict clause against non-refoulement. And non-refoulement is a a French word. Basically, you can't push people back. You can't refoul people. I thought, no, there's no way that Greece is doing this. And I started looking more into it. And what I came across was reports from actually the land border. And so there wasn't very much actual report and evidence based on what was happening in the sea. It was more of these like kind of reports from citizen journalists or some NGOs that were working in the space at the time. But some Greek organizations had written some reports about pushbacks over the Evros land border. So people traveling from Turkey across the land border into Greece, being stopped in Greece and pushed back into Turkey. And once I found out this, and I thought, I, I need to say something about this. I need to do something about this. I was there. I still felt very close to all of the people I had met in Greece. I knew there were people who were also trying to leave Greece and were facing the same situation, being pushed back from North Macedonia. And so I thought, I really want to get involved in this. And I joined an organization in Thessaloniki, in northern Greece, who was trying for the first time to document these pushbacks and to build up a database of testimonies, of stories, so that no one could say this isn't happening. I worked with them collecting stories from people, people who had been pushed back from North Macedonia and were coming back with bruises or without their money or without their clothes or whatever it was. Also testimonies from people who had tried to get to Greece multiple times and finally had made it and came to us seeking legal services or medical services. And also people in Turkey or in other places, Iraq, for instance, who had been to Greece. They had set foot in Greece and they had been pushed back to Turkey. And from Turkey, they had been pushed back to Syria or to Iraq. When you say pushbacks, what does that actually mean, right? Obviously, we know that that means being pushed back from one country to another, but like physically, can you give us an example? Yes. So pushbacks come in many different forms and sometimes they can be quite nonviolent. It can just be an arrest of people. They cross the border, a group of people. They encounter the police on the other side or oftentimes masked men on the other side who act as kind of vigilante authorities and say, you're under arrest. They put them in the van. They drive them back across the border. That's it. There are also many, many instances of people who encounter masked men unidentifiable in the middle of the night on the other end of the border with batons and other weapons who chase them, who fire warning shots at them, who once they catch them, beat them and electrocute them, tell them that they have to strip their clothes and then burn their things. Take their shoes. Take their shoes. Yes. My partner is one of the people that this has happened to. And there were many instances where just out of spite, They took their shoes and forced them to walk back across the mountain or the the rocky plain in between the countries. In this instance, it was Romania to Serbia, but the tactics are quite similar. And they're similar from Romania to Serbia, Hungary to Serbia, Croatia to Bosnia, Greece to Turkey. It's very systematized, which is what we were learning, was that there was a system in place. And despite the fact that these men were wearing masks and trying not to have any identifying information, 
they were clearly part of national police authorities and sometimes international border authorities, for example, Frontex. You're seeing continuity and similarities between these pushbacks internationally. Yeah, and, and you're seeing the involvement of Frontex forces who are paid for by the European Union, by the European Commission, by the European citizen to engage in these pushbacks and these huge violations of international law and human rights. And they have a very systematized way of trying to cover themselves and to take off their badges, take off their EU flag badges. There's video evidence of this collected by some of the organizations in the region of the process of doing this, of putting the balaclavas on, of removing the EU patches, of dressing all in black. But they were still, through investigations, able to identify them as part of these police forces and as part of Frontex because of the vehicles they used, the police stations that they ended up warehousing people in, the style of their jackets, for example. There was investigation of a police force in Croatia, and all of them were wearing the exact same type of jacket, which is issued by the Croatian police force. And so... Not only are these violations happening, but they're systematized and almost government-encouraged, or at least police chain-encouraged. And, yeah, this, this was something that, that is still going on and is only now just being recognized as occurring. And still the, the narrative of most of these governments is that it's vigilante groups, they're people outside of our control, they're angry local citizens who don't want refugees to be coming here. No, that's not what's happening. They are police forces and they are Frontex border control guards and they're engaging in this violence and in this brutality against uh, people who are seeking refuge in a safer place. You gave an example then of land borders, but we've seen in the UK, there's been footage of our border force actually practicing pushbacks in the channel. And a previous podcast guest, Hassan, a Syrian uh, friend of mine, talks in his book about being pushed back in Greek waters mm. to Turkish waters. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like at sea? Yeah. I, it's funny you mentioned Hassan because I listened to him just a few days ago. And one, he's an amazing speaker, and his book, I've read parts of it, and it's amazing. But I, I was thinking the entire time that he was speaking, and also while I was reading him, about how similar it is for people, and still, how it's so similar 10 years later. Because I think Hassan came in 2012, 2013, and the situation is the exact same, and even, if not worse, and if not more blatant. So now we say pushbacks are occurring, and, and so what? What's happening? Nothing is happening. People say, okay, they're, ha they're occurring, but where's the action to do anything about it? And this really struck me because, yeah, it's 10 years later, and this is still happening. The last thing that I want to really talk to you about today is it was in Greece that you met your partner, yes. right? Tell me that story and tell me about him. Yes. So my partner is an amazing person and I don't think I went to Greece looking for a partner <laughs> or anything like that. 
So he was your interpreter. Yes. And he works for the same organization. Yes. And he's Syrian. Yes. Okay, so he was there as a refugee himself. He was there as a refugee himself. It's a bit ironic, but what I ended up working on and studying, he lived. And so we also went through that together, crossing borders, being pushed back, waiting in closed centers, not knowing what was going to happen next. And it's been incredibly hard, but also the most beautiful thing because there is, there is some hope. And usually he is that hope and he is that light for us which is, yeah, it's just a source of inspiration for me. <laughs> wow, how amazing that you studied it and he experienced it. Yeah. We've been together every step of the journey since Europe. I, I worked in this organization in Thessaloniki, documenting pushbacks. And then a few months later, he was living it. And I was in Greece waiting for the call to see if he made it to North Macedonia, right? waiting for three days on end and only one check on the WhatsApp message because it hasn't gone through, thinking, okay, <laughs> is he detained, arrested, dead? I mean, where is he? And of course the experience was much more difficult for him and, and I was kind of the, the person waiting in the background. But I mean, to have someone that you love face this kind of persecution and this violence by other people it it's a horrible feeling and it fused even more my passion for my work and my life because at this point my work and my life are the same thing what is your hope or plan for the future of you two so the goal for us is to reunite at some point hopefully i can end up doing the work that i love be in europe knocking on the doorstep of the European Commission every single day <laughs> and doing it together and building a life together in our safe country for both of us that welcomes both of us equally as foreigners. We couldn't finish this episode without hearing from someone who has actually lived the experience of being pushed back. So let's hear from Katie's partner. We're going to call him Arthur to protect his identity. Arthur is from Homs in Syria and met Katie once he arrived to Europe on the Greek island of Lesbos, where he lived in the infamous Moria camp. But it was actually once he made it to Europe that crossing borders became particularly traumatic. I caught up with Arthur at his home in the Netherlands, where he now lives. He was happy to talk about pushbacks because he says that they're not spoken about or covered by our media at all. That's the weird thing. It's not talked at all for that matter, I think. And ha- but how do how do you feel like that, having actually experienced it? Do you feel like you just want to like shout from the rooftops? I mean, it's a weird thing, right? Because like, if you want to talk about it, it's just this unrelatable thing that people doesn't understand whatsoever. You know, I think there was like some kind of documentary on Netflix or something, and like one of my friends saw it and she was like, "Holy shit! Like, this is what you've been through." And I'm like, uh, "This is just a little bit." Yeah, this is the Netflix version. <laughs> this is the Netflix version that considers your emotions. But yeah, it's totally horrifying what happens on these borders. I mean, like the things I've seen and like the things I've heard, sometimes it gets you wondering. It's not how people treat people. I don't even get it how like these people are considered to be law enforcement or like part of law enforcement. 
organizations. You know what I mean? So how can you like take some people clothes in the middle of winter, like Eastern European winter, take people's clothes and burn them right in front of their face and force them to walk back in the woods in boxes, knowing that they probably will die because of what you did. And then like go back to your family and like hug your children. Like how can you do both things, you know? I don't even understand like how people are capable of doing such things. It's super confusing for me. It would be amazing if you were happy to tell me a little bit about your own personal experience of being pushed back. My own personal experience. I mean, thank God I was lucky enough to made to make it on my first journey to Greece. Mm-hmm. I uh, took a boat from Turkey to Lesbos, the famous island. <laughs> mm-hmm. Land routes like the Balkans are just crazy. It's just insane in there. The treatment of the Serbian police is just, whoa, it's just horrifying. You tell me they, the story. They just, they just like start beating people for no reasons whatsoever. Point. I was in Belgrade, I remember. I was just like in the market trying to buy some things. And I was stopped by the Serbian police. And they asked me for my passport. And I told them that I have none, but I have this ID given to me from the camps. And they were like, okay, you have to come with us. And like when they got me off the street, they started punching me for no reason whatsoever. I was totally complying with them. And then they took me and like put me in a camp, a locked camp, for a couple of days till they felt like freeing me. I'm like, what's the reason? That's just it. You have to stay in the camp. And then if you try to cross the borders, like to get out of Serbia, border guards will be after you. The conditions that I've seen in these camps in Serbia was just like so freaking horrifying. It's just so insane. There is really zero conditions to be able to live as a human being. Like, you can't. At this point, Arthur told me the first horrifying story about being pushed back by Romanian border guards. I tried like five, six times through Romania every time. They'd strip us down, send us back, like even no shoes. They would take off the shoes burn all of our stuff right in front of us. About three times they started beating us, even though we were complying with their orders. This is in Romania? This is in Romania, yeah. And when you say they, who's they? The border guards, the Romanian border guards. They were Romanians, yeah. And when you say stripped you down? Like down to the boxes. They would just leave us in our boxes and send us back like totally naked, even without our shoes to Serbia. Involves walking miles barefoot in the jungles after getting beaten. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. And that happened to you multiple times? Yeah, about five times in Romania. Oh my God. The fact that like, even after that had happened once, that you had the strength to try again and then again and then again, that shows some serious strength of character. And I... I mean, it's, it's, it's not about that. 
I really appreciate your kind words, but it's not about, I don't think it's about that. It's about survival. There is no going back. There is no back. Back, there is, there is literally nothing. Literally nothing. Like what is in Syria? Death. What is in Greece? Sitting and doing nothing. Literally. Destitution, yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's like trying to be a decent human being, like a person who can contribute to society, you know? Do you remember how that emotionally impacted you and the people around you? Emotionally, it was such a horrifying thing, like it's out of the word, you know, kind of thing. There's just so much confusion because we all fled Syria because of like its horrors, right? We all fled execution and like prisons and like all these kind of stuff. That's why we ran away from Syria. And like, I'm sure that's the reason all the nationalities have fled their countries. Like nobody flee their countries to live through these conditions if they didn't have not a good reason, but like a great reason to do so, you know? And then like to be in that situation again, you know, it's just a horrible experience to have lived through. Did you ever expect that this would happen to you in Europe? Europe was the symbol of humanity or like humanitarian. I don't know. It sounds a bit funny right now after living through all these experiences. After you finally passed Romania successfully, did you have any more problems with border um, guards and I mean, honestly, I didn't make it to Romania. At some point, I was just like, yeah, enough is enough. And I took a different route. I tried a few times from Croatia. That didn't work, but it wasn't as horrific, honestly. Yeah, Hungary was a bit bitter, I'd say. They wouldn't burn our stuff right in front of us. They wouldn't strip us down or like start beating us for no reason whatsoever, you know? When you say burn your stuff, you mean like, because it was, was it winter when you were there? Yeah, it was winter. It was winter. It was December. So it's December. Mm -hmm. They take your clothes, they burn them in front of you, and then they send you away in your boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen stripping women right in front of us, stripping women down. Like, how this woman was feeling at this point? How did she feel being stripped down in front of all these people? Right? It's just so fucked up, the whole thing. I don't know. These people that are doing this, they need to be held accountable. They need to be imprisoned. Yeah, I mean, I really hope so. <laughs> what can you say? Do you think you carry a lot of anger from that time? I don't, I don't think so. I'm not like the type to hold anger kind of person, you know? More like the kind of chill person. But like, sometimes I do think about these experiences. I do think about their impacts on me. You didn't lose their lives, but many people do because of these pushbacks and because of these actions of border authority. Many people did. Many people did. I was one of the lucky enough to have lived through this experience. Many people didn't make it, wasn't lucky enough, I guess, to have make it, to be able to tell about it. Yeah. That's why I appreciate you so much for sharing and for telling your story and talking about this with me today. 
And that's why we've put this episode together, to raise awareness about the pushbacks happening across the board at all of these borders. Learning about them, knowing about them, talking about them, these are the first steps to creating change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asylum Speakers, The Journey, brought to you in collaboration with Comic Relief and organisations funded through Comic Relief's Across Borders programme. You can find out how to support Comic Relief's work at comicrelief.com. To find out more about the people in today's show, check out the links in the show notes. Also remember that I'm always open to thoughts and feedback. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. Other actions you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and to buy a t-shirt or a hoodie, or you can donate. All details are in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, share it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one Worldwide Tribe. A big shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.